Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Awesome. How's it going, guys? Good. Well, I wanted to start off uh, with a couple of shout-outs because I'm not actually presenting this message by myself. Uh, Production team, homies from the desk... Big shout out to them. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and, um, and I'm actually borrowing my mum's laptop today, so thank you, mum. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, yeah, this is my first time preaching a full message, so to start it off strong, I'd love it if you'd join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here. Thank you that, uh, that you are speaking to us this morning. I pray that these would not be my words, but they would be yours, Lord. Um, Please just work in our hearts and minds right now, God. Prepare us to receive what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Cool. Well, it is Anzac Day, um, and I was trying to think of what the proper greeting would be for Anzac Day. Like, Christmas is traditionally Merry Christmas, um, for a birthday, Happy Birthday, Easter seems to follow suit with happy, but I've never really been sure. Um, but yeah, Anzac Day has always seemed a bit sadder, a bit more sombre and serious. And so happy Anzac Day never quite seemed right either. Uh, Anzac Day is a day when we reflect on the sacrifices made by the Anzacs, the Australian and New Zealand Army Corps, across their various conflicts, um, Gallipoli being the main one that we like to focus on. Um, We normally have a minute of silence, we play the last post, we recite the ode. It's normally a a very powerful and moving time. And so when Josh asked me to preach on Anzac Day, I was pretty nervous because I feel like today deserves a really powerful, impactful message. Um, And who am I to bring that? Um, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a wise elder, I'm not your mum, why would you listen to me? But I realised that the only authority I have in speaking this word is the same authority I have in receiving it, and that's the same authority we all have, that God loves his children and and he speaks to them. So we'll see how we go. Today may not be the most powerful message you've heard, you may not receive the biggest revelation of your life, Uh, but the main question we've got to ask ourselves today is, is it true? Uh, Because if it is, then it doesn't matter whether we like it, whether I present it well, if it challenges us, pushes us outside of our comfort zones, pokes at our pride, because if God has something to say today, the only thing that matters is that we identify that truth and apply it to our lives. Does that sound all right? Awesome. Well, the title for the message this morning is Fighting with Faith. Um, Now, in my youth, I I liked to pick fights. I was a bit of a bully because I only liked to pick fights I knew I could win. Um, which, unfortunately, because I was homeschooled, tended to be my younger brother, Jack. Um, So he took the brunt of that. Um, So normally when I hear the term fighting, I think of violence um, in that sense. But there's perhaps another kind of fighting that looks a little bit different. See, the word fight has two definitions. The first one is to take part in a violent struggle involving the exchange of physical blows or the use of weapons, which is what my brother had to put up with. But the second definition 
is struggle to overcome, eliminate, or prevent. And that second definition seems a lot calmer. It talks of some kind of inner, inner, uh, inner strength, a determination to achieve a goal. But the common word there between the two definitions is the word struggle. And I think that unfortunately that word is, is a concept that we're a bit more familiar with than we'd like. And maybe it's just me, but I think we've all got struggles. We've all got fights. And sometimes it can feel like we're fighting a losing battle. So today I wanted to go through a few aspects of how God calls us to fight and a few aspects of being a part of God's army. So the first one I'd like to look at today is assembling the army. So the traditional term for assembling an army, uh, going off to war, is the call to arms. So I wanted to start off with this verse from Romans 13, uh, verses 11 and 12. Paul is writing here about upholding the law and how love is the fulfillment of that law. And he says this, And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. I feel like that's a bit of a call to arms. I did Air Force cadets for six or seven years, and the main thing I remember from it was a lot of shouting. Um, as, as coming in as a cadet, one of the, the underlings, uh, you'd get shouted at a lot. And the reason they did that was to make you better at whatever it is they were asking you to do. If you weren't doing it well, they'd shout at you, and if you were doing it well, they'd shout at you more. <laughs> so, so today, I'm not going to shout at you, um, but I did feel like there were some strong, um, strong things that God was pointing out to me, um, and I'm hoping that it applies to, to you guys as well. So what Paul is saying in those verses is that the church he's writing to needs to get their act together a little bit. They need to put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Now, I don't know exactly what was going on in that church at that time. If you read through the chapter, it gives uh, some indication. But I wanted to look at how it might apply to us. I don't know about you, but when Paul mentions those deeds of darkness that we need to set aside, the Holy Spirit kind of brought a few things to my mind, uh, some things that I need to put aside. Um, and, you know, we've all got struggles. We've all got things that we know are wrong, we try to steer clear of them, but we often find ourselves back fighting that losing battle. And maybe your struggle is lying because you want people to like you. Maybe it's comparison because you don't like yourself. Maybe it's addiction to things you shouldn't be going to or avoidance of things you should. Or maybe it's that you're too busy to spend time with God and you struggle with that. We know it's wrong. We try to steer clear but we keep coming back. Does that pattern sound familiar to anyone else, or is it just me? So we actually need to fight. We need to stand against that. We need to get on top of it. We need to put aside the deeds of darkness, and we actually need to defend against them. Not because God hates us if we don't. I want to make that clear. But it's going to make our lives better. It's going to make the lives of the people around us better. It's going to improve our relationships with people and our relationship with God. And if for no other reason, then God has called us to live good lives. And he deserves our obedience. He's earned that. You know, in World War I, 
as Craig was saying, about 300,000 uh, people enlisted to serve. And I love the term to serve because it makes the correlation a lot easier. Um, other countries introduced conscription laws around 1916 that made it mandatory for any able-bodied man to enlist. Uh, but Australia didn't actually do that until World War II. So in World War I, every single Australian soldier was a volunteer. And that got me thinking, why did they fight? What was the motivation? They didn't have to, so why did they choose to go out and fight? And I think one of the reasons would have been to defend their lives against the enemy. And another reason would have been to defend their home, to defend their families from the enemy. During my time in Air Force Cadets, one thing in particular has always stuck with me, one thing that I, I heard from, from some, some guys in the army, and that is that when Aussies rock up, the morale goes up. People get excited. Come on. <laughs> because Australians have a deep-set sense of mateship, a deep sense that we're in this together. And on the battlefield, you know, you're trying not to die, so it can be quite easy, I assume, to kind of focus on yourself at times. But, yeah, the Anzacs were known for their natural ability to look out for others, and that's very much a biblical quality, to love your neighbour. And I believe this is how God is calling us to fight, to... to not only defend ourselves, but actually to defend the people around us too. Because there are people dying spiritually every day. There's people that you know, people in your workplaces, people in your schools, people that you walk past down the street or in the shops. They're, they're dying and we actually need to fight for them too. We are under attack. Those deeds of darkness that Paul is talking about are all too real. And I don't want to say this to inspire any sense of fear because our enemy is powerless against our saviour. Uh, but I actually want to encourage you that we do need our saviour and those people out in our community need a saviour too. So let's not be idle. Let's stand for what we believe in. And when we get attacked, because we do get attacked, be encouraged that the enemy sees you as a threat. I found that encouraging. So when we're attacked, we can either sit there and take it or we can stand up and fight. Either way, we are living life on a battlefield. Let's not be fooled by our comfort or by the idea that the victory is won so we don't need to fight because the battle's actually still going. The end is written, but we're not quite there yet. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4 says this, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. So let's not become complacent in our comfort, but let's actually assemble as an army. And that brings me to my second point, which is arming the army. Now, the Anzacs had a uniform, and so do we. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20, talks about the spiritual armour. Uh, now, we're going to ignore bullets and, and modern uh, instruments of warfare, modern weapons, because it, that obviously they didn't exist when this was written. I did experiment with changing the breastplate of righteousness to the Kevlar bulletproof jacket of being a good person, but it didn't quite <laughs> seem to fit. So we're going to go through the six pieces of spiritual armour that we can wear to protect ourselves in battle. And um, I was talking to, to Nathan just before the service, uh, and he reminded me of something we've spoken about a, a while ago, a few months ago, and that is that when on, in battle, 
when you, when you kill someone from the enemy's side, right, you've, you've killed one person. But when you injure someone, you've actually taken out two because someone else has to come along and help. So we actually need to wear our armour to defend ourselves and also to actually, like, when we wear our armour, it means that as an army, we are stronger because we're not causing other people to, to be held back. Now, the best way to protect against attack is with your shield. But the armour needs to be there in case anything gets through. Not wearing armour on a battlefield is not only foolish, it's fatal. Each part of the armour is there for a reason and each part has a purpose. So I'm going to quickly go through the, the six pieces of armour and, and just talk a little bit about how they help us in our fight. So the first one is the belt of truth. Now, the opposite of truth is lies. So obviously, the, when we're surrounded by truth, we're properly positioned to recognise lies and, uh, and from there we can actually decide whether to believe them or not. Jesus is the truth. His word is the truth. So whether it's by reading the Bible, hearing it, listening to people talk about it, however we get there, we need to be connected, immersed and familiar with his truth. The second piece of armour is the breastplate of righteousness, not the bulletproof jacket. But this, one, this one's a tough one. I found this tough because the idea of righteousness seems kind of out of reach. Um, and so maybe that's why we need to put on the belt of truth first, is to actually understand that in God's eyes, we are made righteous. 1 Corinthians 1.30 tells us that Christ became our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. But we also need to make good choices. The, if sin is putting things between us and God, or choosing other things over God, then when we make good choices, when we put God first, what better defense is there against sin? So we need to be righteous. Now, the next piece is, is talking about for shoes, the readiness given by the gospel of peace, which is a weird concept to put on your foot. Um, but when I was looking into it, the, the main military presence at the time was the Roman army. And their battle shoes had spikes on the bottom to help soldiers hold their ground. And so the readiness given by the gospel or the good news of peace means that we are to stand firm in this good news of peace so that we won't be swayed by uncertainty or doubt. And then the helmet of salvation. Now, in Roman armour, the helmet would go on last. But this piece of armour is actually something we can't put on ourselves. We can choose truth, we can choose righteousness, and we can choose peace. But salvation is actually something God has placed on us. And when he does, we're saved. The victory is ours. And we're no longer fighting a losing battle. We're fighting a battle that's already been won. Makes it a lot easier. Roman helmets, this part's more of a fun fact than anything else, but Roman helmets actually had cheek guards that came down either side of your face. And so when Romans would wear these helmets, the cheek guards would rub against their cheeks. And people could actually identify someone who served in the army by these marks that they creatively called helmet marks. <laughs> but our salvation actually leaves a mark. And, uh, and when, we, when we serve in God's army, people recognise it. All right. The next piece of armour is the shield of faith. And this is the part that 
I feel I got the most revelation around. Now, the shield was used by the Romans in a number of their classic formations. And the main one I want to talk about is called the phalanx, also known as the phalanges, which is the bones in your fingers and toes. It's kind of talking about this idea of being linked together. Um, Now, this formation operated on some pretty simple but really key um, principles. The first one is to hold the line. And the second one is to remain unified. If they did that, it worked really, really well. In the phalanx formation, the soldiers would stand side by side, holding their shield on their left arm. And this meant that they were half protecting themselves and half protecting the person next to them. Um, And when they actually organised these formations, they specifically put family and friends close together as an incentive to be protecting the people around them. Um, There was a Greek poet called Tertius, and he wrote this, Now of those who dare, abiding one beside another to advance to the close fray and the foremost champions, fewer die and they save the people in the rear. But in men that fear, all excellence is lost. He's talking about this exact formation. When the soldiers worked together, when they held their position and held their shields in place, they were almost unstoppable. The only people that could really beat them were the other Romans during training using the same formations. But when they listened to fear, they would break ranks, lose formation and fall apart. Now, these soldiers weren't actually trained soldiers most of the time. Most of the time, they were just regular citizens. They were farmers, they were workers of various trades. Um, But they didn't actually need much training because they could trust in the formation. They could trust in the position they'd been placed in by their commanding officer and they could trust in their shield. Now, due to the nature of this shield formation, everyone's protecting half themselves and half the person on their left, which means the guy right down the right-hand side was actually left exposed. And so what that meant was that they would normally get the most experienced soldier um, right down the right-hand side. Sometimes they would put together an elite um, unit of, of experienced soldiers that were known as the epilectoi, which translates as chosen. And so they would place these chosen, experienced soldiers on the right-hand side because they knew that the greatest weakness in this wall of shields was fear. And so if they could have just one soldier down the end in that exposed position to overcome that fear, then they knew they would have victory. They knew that 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 guy right down the end was going to be the one person that was targeted more than anyone else. So so they had chosen chosen soldiers to take that position. Now, we're going to come back to that later. Um, But then the last piece of the spiritual armour is the sword of the spirit, which is God's word, which is the word of God. Now, we know that the word of God is actually sharper than a double-edged sword. So when we have God's word at our disposal, we can parry against spiritual attacks. And this is exactly what Jesus did with the devil when he was tempted. Uh, The devil, you know, suggested these, these temptations, but Jesus used God's word to defend himself. And when we resist the devil, he must flee. And so Paul finishes those off by reminding us to pray at all times in the Spirit. 
Now, when we don't wear our armor properly, but we still try to follow God, we start taking hits from the enemy. And we can often find ourselves in this place where rather than fighting with faith, we're actually fighting with faith or fighting against faith the way I would fight with my brother. But normally when we feel like we're fighting with faith, it's actually our faith that is fighting against doubt. In some cases, we actually start fighting against God because, let's be honest, the lives He has called us to are not easy. He's not only calling us to go against the culture of the world around us, He's actually calling us to go against the culture within us, to go against our logic, our emotions, our wants, our comfort. For example, Romans 8.17, suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Luke 6.30, love your enemies. Uh, sorry, Luke 6.27 is love your enemies. Luke 6.30, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. That's challenging. So, of course, we struggle, and the enemy doesn't help. God empowers us with hope and love and faith, and the enemy attacks us with doubt and fear and by making us feel like we're alone. Now, we can defend against these lies when we put on the full armor of God, remember that we are loved Remember, we have a calling. Remember, we have a position and a place in his family. But we also need to defend one another. Take the time to notice someone who might be feeling excluded and include them. Notice when someone is doubting. Support them with truth and and in prayer. Fear, though, is sometimes much harder to notice in others. So let's just continually encourage one another with our faith and inspire one another with God's love and hope. Proverbs 21, 30 to 31 says this, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. And the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Essentially, what these Proverbs are saying is, don't try to fight against the Lord, and don't try to fight without Him. We need to put on our armour and prepare to advance, but we shouldn't go out to battle without the Lord. And so sometimes we need to retreat and spend time with him. And I want you all to, to make note that retreat is not defeat. If you try to fight without God, you're going to lose. We need to be intentionally putting aside time to receive from God. Jesus spent time with God and he was God. That got me. If God needs God time, so do we. If you're making notes, write that down. Sometimes... We've got to retreat, regroup, receive, and then return. And I could do a whole new message just on those four points. But if you find yourself fighting with your faith, first of all, be encouraged that it is worth fighting for. Then check that you've got a healthy balance between receiving from God and giving for Him. Ensure your armor is firmly in place and allow His unfailing love to remind you that He is for you. And as always, pray. All right, so if we've done all that, we've gathered an army, we're armed, we're prepared, so it's time to advance. The Anzacs were called to serve their country, and we're also called to serve, but we're fighting a very different kind of battle. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This fight that we're in is not a debate, it's not a duel, it's 
pretty much just getting up every day and choosing to follow Christ. It's different. The battle we're fighting is not only against the devil, though, although he is trying to trip us up. It's often against ourselves. We've got to get up, continuously choose him and claim his victory in our lives. But we're not only fighting for ourselves. Others are under attack. It's one thing to know we have victory in our king. It's an entirely different thing to actually go out and fight so that others may have part of that victory. But we can't make people wear armour. We can't force someone to believe the truth. We can't compel them to stand in the good news of peace. We can't make them righteous and we can't force salvation on them. But we can protect them with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we can defend them with the shield of faith. We can pray for them, we can share His Word, we can embody His Spirit, and we can stand alongside them with our faith held strong. But here's the thing about standing alongside someone with our shield of faith. It means we're actually putting ourselves in that exposed position. It means we're actually going to have to overcome fear. It means we're going to be targeted. But when you step into that position and you take on the identity of chosen, something really cool happens. Another stands with you. Someone who overcame fear. Someone who has the experience of victory. I know it's cliche, but it is true. Jesus stands with us. Jesus took that position. He was exposed for us. He was targeted for us. He gave up his own safety so that we could have victory. Psalm 91 verse 4 describes it so beautifully. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. So if his promises are our armor and protection, then this whole concept gets flipped around a bit. Because suddenly it's no longer a struggle that we need to fight against something or fit into something. It's a truth that we can surrender to. It's almost like we fight not by struggling, but trusting. Not by, worry, not by worrying, but worshipping. Not in burdens, but in belief. Not in rioting, but in righteousness. Not in panic, but in peace. Not through sin, but, not, sorry, not through, sin, but through salvation. And not with fear, but with faith. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. It's backwards, it's weird, but fighting with faith is less of a struggle of something we need to achieve and more of a promise that we can accept or an identity that we can assume. Because when His promises become our defense, we are protected from the lie that we need to be the person that Christ already was for us. And when we understand that, we are properly positioned to become the person he calls us to be. So as the band comes up, I want to talk about the poppy. Now, the poppy is a symbol of Anzac Day, but if you don't know why that is, it's because the poppy started popping up like crazy just after World War I. And that's because the poppy is a type of flower that grows naturally in disturbed ground. And the red colouring reminds us of the blood that was spilt for us. So I'd like to pray for, for, for you if this is you. 
And why don't we all stand to our feet? If you feel like your ground has been disturbed, if you feel like you don't have that sure footing, that strong foundation, if you actually need that reassurance of peace, then I want to pray for you. And if we all want to close our eyes, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just acknowledge in your heart, if that is you, then just ask Jesus to be your peace. And I'm going to ask the the pastors to actually pray in their hearts with me, if that's all right, guys. Thanks. So Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We we surrender and we submit to you, Lord. For for anyone here who, who needs that reassurance, God, that needs that readiness of the good news of peace, if they feel like their ground has been disturbed, God, then I just pray that you would be that peace, that you would be that foundation. And God, I thank you that when our ground has been disturbed, we can be reminded of the blood that was spilt for us, Lord, that you took that position and you became the way back to that peace. Thank you, God. Amen. And the second group of people I want to talk to, sorry, to pray over now, is if you want to join the fight. Maybe you've never really thought about it, or maybe you're used to fight, but you've kind of become complacent. I don't know. Again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, um, but I just want to pray this scripture over you. It's from 1 Timothy 6, 12 to 16. So if that's you, if you want to fight with faith, if you want to step in and be a part of God's army, um, then, then just open your heart to God. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.